Welcome to Deconstructing Conventional, a show that's unafraid to challenge the status quo. We are eager to question our assumptions, to find wrong turns in our thinking, and take on controversial topics. This show is brought to you by True Whole Human, a coaching business that helps clients find the first principles that lead to better health and better living. I'm your host, Christian Elliott. I'll do my best to stay curious and humble. You do the same, and we're both bound to learn something. Welcome to the show. Prepare to have your thinking stretched. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number five. Today, I am going to try to take on a massive topic, and that is supplements. So if you listened to my last episode about detoxing from the COVID injections, you may remember that I kind of realized there's too much to talk about, so I I was going to give supplements its own episode. So today is that day. And really what I want to help you do is step back and say, why are we even taking supplements in the first place? And how do we know what we need and what we're supposed to spend money on and what's just a waste of money? And so up front, know that I'm not going to be recommending any particular supplement today. There's no supplement pitch coming at the end of the episode. I'm just, this is going to be for informational purposes. I'm not a doctor. I'm not prescribing anything and I'm not uh, here to sell you something today. I'm just hoping to start a high level look at the industry and to look at the mindsets we have around this topics. So to do that, I'm going to start high level and look at the landscape of the supplement industry. And then I'll really take you down into the weeds and I'll try to pull back at the end and zoom out and hopefully help you find some solid, rational ground to stand on to make it easier to make informed decisions around the world of supplements. So three quick anecdotal stories about them, you know, that really have shaped my thinking over the year. They're all personal stories. So I remember back in high school, my mom was good about taking her vitamins. And one of the things that she would give us was a multivitamin. And there was a funny thing about this multivitamin that you had to take it with food. And if you made the mistake of taking it on an empty stomach, shortly thereafter, you would feel very nauseous and likely throw up. And so there was one morning I had to go to work. I was in high school, you know, at a summer job and I had to go. I swung by some fast food place to get a breakfast burrito or something. And so I took the um, multivitamin before I left and then I rushed over to the place to get breakfast. And sure enough, I barely was able to get through the ordering line and ingest the thing. I was about to throw up in the car. And I remember thinking, what is up with this? If this is supposed to be good for my health, if this is something that's supposed to be kind of like food, why does it make me feel like I need to throw up? Something about that felt off. It's like I swallowed pennies or something. Like the body just wanted to reject that. And So that's the first story. The second one was uh, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, we went to the uh, see the doctor and, you know, thankfully we got the whoop-de-doo doctor prescribed prenatal vitamin for us. And I remember looking at that um, multivitamin. I looked at the ingredients. I had just read the book, um, The Hundred Year Lie by Randall Fitzgerald. And the subtitle is how food and drugs are destroying our health. So I had just, I've been digging deeper and deeper into this nutrition puzzle and realizing there's some things being sold to us that aren't great. So I flip over this nutrition label from this fancy doctor prescribed multivitamin for her prenatal needs. And sure enough, there's hydrogenated oils in it and food dye. And I knew enough to step back and say, hang on, this is supposed to help my wife and my growing child be healthier, yet there's trans fats and... I knew at that point that a lot of the food dyes are made from coal tar. And I'm thinking, how in the world is this supposed to be good for our health? So that's the second story. The third one is my wife and I were for a a 
season of life, we were selling supplements. We had a supplement line that we recommended. And in one of the meetings where we're learning about what's in these supplements and how potent they are and how to talk about them compared to competitors, I remember sitting in this meeting where they're teaching us and they're saying, so here's what we did. Here's the tests we ran to test these supplements in the blood and find out do they hold up to the efficacy claims? And there was an ORAC value, which is just a, uh, a measure of how powerful the antioxidant is. And so they have their score. And part of what they did in testing that was they bought a bunch of competitors' products and they tested them the same way. And what they found was a lot of what the ingredients listed on the label were either weren't in there or the potency that they were claiming their product had was nowhere near that. And the short version of that story is they you know, the company... That, was, that I was representing, I took the other supplements back to the manufacturer and said, so we tested these and here's what we found. And the feedback they got basically was, well, shoot, if we had known you were going to be testing the supplements, we would have sent you some. Meaning like, well, yeah, what's in it and what, how we test it and score it and the science we use to justify those particular claims we make, well, those are different. And it really got me puzzled or thinking like, so what is it that goes on in this industry and why are we putting coal tar and hydrogenated oils and things? Why do these make me feel like I want to throw up? And how do we as consumers sort through this landscape to know what's in there? And if we're getting something that is actually beneficial, or if it's just we're relying solely on the placebo effect to hopefully get some benefit from it. So one of the things I did in getting ready for this episode, I talked to a friend who is, uh, he actually owns his own supplement line. And I kind of quizzed him on what's going on in the supplement industry because my my information's dated and so i got a lot of insights into the process but one thing he assured me is that the supplement industry has pretty tight regulations and it's harder than it used to be to bring a lackluster product to the market and make claims because you can it's more strict to get into that world and the manufacturing is more centralized so um it's also really expensive to bring a high quality product to the market. There really is an upper limit on what people are willing to spend on a product. And it takes a lot of education and marketing to bring a good product to the market and actually make it profitable. So and this is true, not just in the supplement industry, but really in business, it's not the products that are the best that win the day. It's the products that have the best marketing in a just world that wouldn't be the case, but that's really what we live in. And so what most companies do is compete on price and labeling and recruiting people to endorse their products. And that lets them lower the price and cut corners and get a bigger audience with a bigger chance of selling their products. And so what you end up with in the supplement world, in my opinion, is the majority of stuff I wouldn't even bother with. I think most products not even you know go upwards of 90% of what's on the market is just junk. And it's the stuff you find at GNC and Walmart and Target and all the generic brands, the Centrum Silvers and the One-A-Days and things like that, you, you might as well be swallowing pennies. There's just not much in them, in my opinion. And that just comes from looking at the industry and realizing that most of the ingredients that go into these are made by just a handful of companies. And it's just a lot of companies packaging nutrients or ingredients in different ways and putting them on a label. And then they just it's up to them to go compete in the market and see if they can sell their quote unquote proprietary formulation of whatever everybody else has access to. And so know that there are genuinely good players in the industry, but a large portion of it is just really not helping us. And this industry is, is growing by leaps and bounds right now. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. But another big part of it, obviously, is not surprising is media and advertising. So that has so much to do with which supplements you hear about and which ones you don't. And so 
we have to be wise to the fact that what works best may just either not get pressed or it may actually, especially if it is something that could compete with a, a current product or a pharmaceutical, it'll often get bad press because it's a genuine threat or because it's a less expensive alternative. So there are a lot of instances where real solutions are being suppressed and um, especially if they compete with anything pharma. So chlorine dioxide is one good example of that. And so I'll talk about that more in a, in a different episode or uh, down the road. But uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can check out the documentary, The Universal Antidote. But a reality of the industry, a reality of really any science, whether it's nutrition or whatever, is that somebody has to pay for it. And that's not bad. It's just a recognition that if there's no money to be made, why am I funding an expensive scientific study? So, so often... The results that the companies want you to hear about are basically pre-prescribed. They're baked into the experiment or to the science, and that's what you end up with. So it's really hard for us as consumers to see that. And so um, and know that if they, if they come up with anything that's going to challenge the status quo, they're going to be vilified. So just appreciate that that's part of it. It's, it weaves itself into every industry. This is not just a supplement industry-specific situation. And then, as you probably have become aware, or at least it's become apparent to me since COVID, is how many industries are significantly consolidated. So you go to the grocery store, and it looks like you've got thousands of options and different companies competing with each other. And in reality, there are really just a handful of companies that have slowly bought up all the other companies. You may have seen the visuals where there's, you know, around the, there's like a, a, picture with around the border, there's all these different tiny little logos of the companies that you think you're buying from. And then closer to the middle, there's the handful of companies that have bought those. And then in the center, there's like the six or eight companies that own all of those things. And that hasn't just happened in food. It's happened in almost every industry, including the supplement industry. So there are major players that own the majority of whatever brands you're buying from. And they're literally being made by mostly the same companies. Um, so with that said, I, one other thing I wanted to um, make you aware of is there's a great article by a lady named Corey Lynn. She's a, an investigative journalist, I guess the best way to describe her. And she does some of the deepest dives. I don't think there's any journalist who's better at what they do. There's several peers who are equally great, but she did a deep dive on the supplement industry. And there's an article she has called Major Acquisitions and Changes in the Booming Dietary Supplement Industry. Do you know who's behind your vitamins? So I'll link that article in the show notes if you want to look deeper into it. But I'm going to read you a few things from that article so you can kind of get your head around, oh, here's this is the industry that's selling us things, and it doesn't always have our best interests in mind. So one of the things she says, the vitamin industry is booming, and major players in gene editing, nanotech, and biotech are eyeing a piece of the action well, with several key acquisitions of dietary supplement companies. Uh, the global dietary supplement market is projected to increase from $71.81 billion in 2021 to $128.64 billion. So from 71 to 128 billion, giant increase. Now, the vitamin industry saw massive growth during COVID. It went up about 26.9%, almost 27% increase in the supplement industry just in 2020. So, meanwhile, mega corporations like Nestle have made major moves in the vitamin industry, such as the acquisitions of Atrium Innovations, the Bountiful Company, and Pura Vida, to name a few. I would also add uh, Garden of Life to that list. Nestle has also bought that. So, the supplement industry, she says, is not only growing, but it is evolving. A new generation of performance enhancing 
performance-enhancing anti-aging and longevity supplements have come to the market, such as Fitbiomics. And she says, Fitbiomics is behind Nella, a genomics-based next-generation probiotic to enhance the performance in athletes. And they list some Olympians that have used it. And she says, George Church who co-founded Fitbiomics, is known as the father of genomics and is a serial entrepreneur with dozens of gene editing, gene therapy, and biotech companies. So um, she also mentions there's a place you can go on the NIH website to get a list of any supplement on the market. There's a dietary supplement label database you can uh, check out, and that will give you, like, you can you should be able to look up the ingredients in any supplement you're thinking of taking because the manufacturers are supposed to divulge that. But what it, I hope, the reason I put this in this episode is because I want to give you just an awareness that there are people working to put things into whatever way they have to get it in us, whether it's injecting us, whether it's in our food, whether it's in supplements, there are things people want to get in us that they sell us as a benefit. They're going to edit genes and they're going to make food more nutritious. And so just start reading labels with more diligence or find practitioners you trust to help you sort through this landscape because it will be sneaking into our food and they will continue to find ways to change labels. The One of the ones that the end arounds they're pulling in the food industry now is they're taking GMOs, which are kind of falling out of favor or people are buying less of them. And they're now calling it bioengineering and telling you it's something different and better. And now we're not doing those nasty genetic modifications. No, it's the same thing. They're just changing the name of it. And labels change all of the time as consumers become aware of ingredients and we start shying away from particular companies or ingredients. So that's kind of a high level look at the industry and just some things to be aware of as you consider buying and ingesting supplements. So philosophically, though, I want to step back for a second and say, just where does the idea of a supplement even come from? Like, why are we doing this? And so it's, you know, it's not news that people have been more or less searching for the fountain of youth since time began. And so the idea of ingesting or smoking something or topically applying substances isn't necessarily new. But uh, if you listen to episode two, or if you haven't listened to that, you might want to go back and listen to it because that's where I, I kind of zoom back out. Or I look at the, I deconstruct conventional medicine and just talk about the mindsets we got into and show more how everything we've, we tend to think of in a Western mindset is we think of it in components parts rather than the whole. And that's a huge portion of what the supplement industry has become. It's, it's an industry that largely, not entirely, but thinks in terms of parts. And that way of thinking even spills into nutrition. So one of the places that modern, modern medicine takes its inspiration is from nature, right? They, to say, you know, this, what plants in nature have had a known healing benefit and then they, the logic is, well, what makes that plant special? And so they attempt to basically reduce that plant to a collection of parts. And they're looking to see what is the active ingredient in this thing, and rather than see it as a whole. And maybe the whole is why it's working, not just some molecule they can isolate as different from other plants. And maybe this explains it. So an easy example of that would be aloe. So that's probably the most noted healing plant in history. It's got like 5,000 years of history of use. And it's even mentioned five times in the Bible. So there's a rich history of saying, ooh, aloe tends to be something that helps people. And so, you know, they they analyze that structure and they realize, oh, mannose, that's, that's one thing that's disproportionately different about this particular plant. So mannose is, ironically, it's a carbohydrate, but it tends to have different healing benefits or different properties that they would say makes that effective or not effective. And so in the drug world... They, they teach you to think active ingredients. And if we can manufacture a bunch of whatever we figure out is the active ingredient, as if everything else is inert and not relevant, um, we can take that active ingredient and then we can 
concentrate it and put it in the body so we can produce a bigger or more predictable response. And so it's, it is a mechanistic way to look at healing. And so the challenge when you start taking nature apart and concentrating various amounts of this little something here and that little something there, the idea is that, well, if a little of it's good, more must be better, or we can be more targeted. And what you do is you end up losing the forest for the trees. And in the, in the drug world, you end up at the toxic end of the spectrum when you're talking about pharmaceuticals. That's why they're all, they all have side effects they have to list is they've taken something in nature that in its matrix worked a particular way and they've concentrated it. And, you know, easy way to conceive of this. If you take a whole bottle of Tylenol, please don't, but if you did, it'd probably kill you, right? If you take a whole bottle of, you know, something like ginkgo or St. John's wort or whatever, you probably just feel a little off. Like it's, it's packaged with so many things rather than a concentrated blast of one nutrient. So the difference is it is in the way that the nutrients are packaged the way nature intended it. So um, Paracelsus, the father of, supposedly the father of pharmacology, said that everything is toxic. What matters is the dose. And there's truth to that. Like if you take too much of anything, you can actually drink too much water and really dilute your ability for your body to fire its functions because it's so diluted. So I just appreciate that a huge portion of the supplement industry has been captured, taken by this reductionist kind of molecular biology or biochemistry approach to whatever they tell you to ingest. And I hope to help you think, okay, where is the place for that? And where is that just, I'm, I'm throwing darts in the dark, hoping something helps. So without the process of industrial digestion, or for lack of a better term, mechanical disassembly and chemical separation and recombination, that's an expensive thing to do. And it's, it takes big machinery, it takes a lot of money. That chemical synthesis of a given molecule is not something you'd ever be able to do in nature. So um, basically, the, the way the supplement industry thinks of it, because we're thinking in terms of individual nutrients now, they'll say, you just need this mineral. And so we'll concentrate that you just need this molecule, this essential fatty acid is this one acid, or you need this vitamin in order to heal. And the challenge is that nature won't give it to you that way. So um, side note here, if, if that thinking really spills over into the nutrition realms where they'll they'll isolate a nutrient and they'll say, oh, in, in the large amounts, th this one, they'll make sweeping judgments about some types of food. And so this is really a big debate in the, the animal versus plant kingdom world. But they'll take a substance like casein extracted from its food matrix and put a bunch of that in the body and say, oh, look, casein causes cancer or arachidonic acid causes inflammation. And so therefore, arachidonic acid, which is found in animal products, is bad. And so you end up with this deconstructed nutrition ad advice or this deconstructed supplement that also should have a different logic to say, hang on, that's, let's not just throw the baby out with bathwater. Let's look at this more holistically. So um, to maybe make give you more of a quick story here. So um, my wife is pregnant with our sixth kid, just doing less than a month. And a previous midwife she had uh, turned her on to the idea of using tea, making a tea every day as her prenatal multivitamin, if you will. So every day, Nina makes this mix of about four different herbs that are traditionally used during pregnancy. So she she buys them in bulk and seeps her tea to drink is throughout the day. And so she jokingly said it feels like she's drinking a barn. So <laughs> we may not put her in charge of marketing for this particular thing, but it's it's a lot of roughage. It's probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 tea bags 
worth of roughage that it takes for her to make her tea. So compare that to what you get in a tea bag with the claims that this tea bag is going to do this, that, or the other, right? There's something different about the concentration. So to validate the approach she's taking, she just recently had her last blood test for this pregnancy, and she was not low on any nutrient they tested. And even her vitamin D levels were normal, which was interesting because you know, we live in Florida. And the midwife told my wife that Nina, who's 42, by the way, who's the, this is the first pregnant woman she has ever seen with normal vitamin D levels. So there's something about thinking more holistically about food and about where we can get nutrition that isn't just from a bottle with inside a capsule or a tablet and to think about how else can I be supporting my body? So um, the point there, or one of them at least, is that there's a patience that you need as as you think about nutrition and, and concentrating beneficial molecules in the body over time. So I, I tell you that story to give you a window into how herbs or supplements more generally can frame this discussion of what we consider supplements today. So again, the challenge is volume and its potency and its time. So that and that may be a, you know, a reason for you to consider buying bulk herbs and making your own teas. and Or if you're gung-ho, make, you can make your own tinctures and oils and salves and everything. But as you start thinking about, wait, nature has this own rich history of, of a medicinal toolkit. And this concentrated version of what we call supplements today is really an aberration in history. We never really did things that way. So a couple of great books on the topics of herbs, if you want to look into more using nature more holistically to heal, there's a great one I have on my shelf called Native American Medicinal Plants by David Mormon, M-O-E-R-M-A-N. Or Nina's favorite she has is The Modern Herbal Dispensary. It's a medicine-making guide is the subtitle. It's by Thomas Easley and Stephen Horn. But one of the things they tease out in that book is just this kind of helped me think more accurately about how to use medicinal plants or how to use nature more to conceive of a supplement in the way that it can be synergistic and helpful. So and a thing to appreciate about using herbs, for example, is that you can find herbs that firm up your stool or herbs that loosen your stool. You can find ones that warm you or cool you. There's ones that excite you or calm you down. There's ones that dry you out or help you hydrate. Or they can be very nourishing or they can be detoxifying. And so there's a lot of different things, properties they have. And the challenge that herbalists have, and they've had throughout history, is that you, when you combine them together, they can become something that neither of them does by itself, which can be great if you, you find a collection of them that can amplify benefit and produce more of what you're looking for. But the other end of that is it could be more like you put a humidifier and dehumidifier in the same room and just let them duke it out and they kind of cancel each other. And that a lot of what becomes in our supplements may have more of that effect because there's no way that reductionist science can study synergy. They're not looking for that. And so really this where having somebody who's more trained in herbalism, for example, would be a way to think holistically and it does a thorough intake and gets to know you. And so I, I brought that into the conversation just to show you that there's there's different ways that we can think about that. And herbs have thousands of years of history compared to the, the reductionist way we think of them now. So um, if we bring a symptom mindset to the topic of supplements rather than a health building or proactive, you know, preventative approach, what we end up likely doing is playing whack-a-mole with different symptoms. And then we're we're relying on the manufacturers and what's on the label and the symptoms they're able to describe to 
nudge us to say, let's give this one a shot and maybe it'll do something, right? So with that kind of background, uh, a little bit in supplement industry or the way you can think about framing what you're doing, I want to zoom in a little bit and just kind of give you two key principles and then I'll, I'll deconstruct, I'll get in the weeds a little bit with supplements in general and, and more specifically how you can start to categorize them in your own, your own mind to see if you really feel like you need them. So the two principles that are worthy of remembering here is, is first, the, the better your diet and your digestion gets, the less you're going to need supplements, right? If you improve your nutrition, food will be able to cover the vast majority of your nutritional needs and unless you spend less money on supplements and you could spend that money on other healing modalities or better food or whatever. But the second principle I want to make sure we have established is just to argue that supplements definitely have a place in healing. I think there are some great ones and they can be very targeted and helpful. However, we also want to recognize that supplements are just that. They are a supplement to an otherwise healthy lifestyle or healthy approach to eating. They are not the approach to healing. They are not the whole strategy. There's just a tiny component of it. And if we can remember those things, it's about our diet and how well we digest. And it's about supplementing and adding a little boost rather than relying on them to be the whole solution. We're going to be much more measured in what we do take. So I broadly break down supplements into kind of two categories. I have in my mind, there's food-based types of supplements and then there's synthetic or isolated nutrients. So the food-based ones, I, I tend to defer to those because those are, I kind of consider those nature's multivitamins, right? They're typically presented as like a freeze-dried powder or an oil or a tea or tincture. Um, and they usually contain a full complement of molecules the way nature would present them. So the upside of those products are, are twofold. It's the breadth of nutrition, which can really help you remove the need to supplement all sorts of different types of nutrients, hoping you're getting enough. And then they contain a breadth of cofactors, which would be enzymes and trace elements and the, the nutrients that need each other in order to work. If you listen to my first episode, that was one of the things that started blowing my mind or, or helping me zoom out and look at nutrition rather than just B12 and B2 and whatever other nutrients tried to figure out what they did in the body to realize the nutrients don't actually work if they're not there together. And so the cofactors in food-based supplements are going to give you more bang for your buck in order to help your body heal. So the secondary or the, the synthetic or isolated nutrients, I, I definitely say they do have a place. Um, that includes protein powders, which for side note on protein powders, I say most of them, unfortunately, stay away from them. They're kind of many of them came into the market as a waste product of industry, right? Whey is another good example. That soy is one of those. The one exception I might give would be for a protein powder would be collagen because that is, um, you know, typically you can get that from bone broth. You could dehydrate that and you have some collagen. But for the most part, protein powders are still a denatured food. They're not the whole matrix of what the food was. They are a powdered form of a concentrated amount of, in this case, protein. So um, th another just side note to help you get your head around a waste product of manufacturing and other examples fluoride right that was i think product of kodak manufacturing there's this leftover thing that's not very helpful we have a lot of it and so somehow they convinced us you know what we should do it we gotta we gotta come up with a health benefit to this thing and so they put it in the water and and we have been suffering the consequences of fluoridation ever since and so recognize sometimes waste products have a place and other times they're horrible like to give you a good example coconut water was one and um, it may not live up to all of the claims or hypes they make about it, but you know they're processing coconuts and all this water splashing on the floor, and they think, well, shoot, maybe we could use this and sell it. And sure enough, it's it's good supplement or it's a good drink. So it's not always bad, but recognize if we're taking things apart 
and we're making more of a parts-based approach to health, then we're starting to lose something. So um, that I think that these kind of nutrients can have a place as part of a short-term healing strategy or a targeted solution for like digestion or whatever as you're trying to improve your health. And um, they certainly have their limitations. And it's basically because they're foreign to the body on many levels. You can't go out in nature and, and pick a vitamin C off of a bush, right? You, there's never a vitamin C bush where you get that one thing off of that. It's it's always presented with more. So um, when I say they can be beneficial to backfill nutrition seeds, they can also boost healing or they can be hostile to pathogens. And often their mechanism of action is is more overwhelming or it can be a manipulation on biochemistry, which doesn't mean it's bad necessarily. It's you get hit by a bus and you're in the hospital, they're going to put, you know, altering substances in your body so that they can operate on you and heal you. So there's a place for it. But I want to, I want to take some of the shine off the halo of isolated nutrients like vitamin D and zinc and so on and so forth, because they're, they're, I'm not saying they're bad, but they're, I think you get more bang for your buck going with food or with kind of nature's multivitamins, which I'll get into a sec for a second. I'll, I'll give you two caveats to that. One is that the farming practices that we have been undergoing for the last several decades have dramatically reduced the amount of nutrition in the soil, which makes for a better case for supplements, right? The two nutrients in particular that are almost universally lacking in people would be iodine and magnesium. So you might do a search for you know food sources of iodine, and you, you will no longer be surprised why we don't get much of it because we just don't tend to eat those kinds of things. And you could do the same thing for magnesium or other nutrients. But um, at the more holistically you think, the simpler this whole thing gets. So, okay, so this is the part where I get in the weeds a little bit. But what I'm hoping to do here is the next time you go to a you know, Whole Foods or you go to wherever and you're, you're in the supplement aisle that just seems to go on forever with an overwhelming number of products or you go to vitamin shop or wherever, hopefully not be overwhelmed by it, but you can look at what you're seeing in terms of categories and know, okay, most of this I can just rule out, but I'm looking for a few things. And so to take those two categories I had of like the primary and secondary, the food-based and the synthetic, and to kind of make it a little more specific. So another way you could think of those categories would be foundational nutritional supplements. This is the ones where I think you're going to get more bang for your buck. And then there's targeted ones. And I'll kind of differentiate the two so you can see, hopefully, a little more clearly where you want to spend your money. But so foundational nutritional supplements, again, I would think of these as like the food-based. They're, they're more of nature's multivitamins. There's a collection of things in them. So those would be things like bee pollen granules. It's amazing how much nutrition is in bee pollen, loaded with B vitamins and trace elements. Another one is desiccated organs. So if I were to, you were to pin me down and say, I, I'm only going to change one thing about my diet. I need the most bang for my buck with nutrition. I'd say eat liver. If I can't get you to eat liver, I'll say, get it in powder form, get it in freeze dried form. It's one of the deepest sources of nutrition across the spectrum of nutrients that you need. Um, another one would be fermented cod liver oil. So that's a great source of A and D. Um, and then, you know, surprisingly or not surprisingly, salt, right? Good sea salt or mountain salt, not the, the stuff you get at the store or most restaurants, the stuff on the table is almost poison. It's that normalized s table salt is usually horrible for your body. But if you can get sea salts or mountain salts, that's a great source of a lot of trace minerals. Um, lower down on the list, I'd put powdered plants. There can be great different supplements that have a lot of nutrition packed in the plants. The challenge is if you have hundreds or dozens of uh, different plants you're trying to pack into a capsule, how much of that are you really getting? So the manufacturing of the 
company has a lot to do with the quality of it. Uh, another great thing that's overlooked easily, that's more of a foundational nutritional supplement, if you want to think of it that way, is bone stock. There's so many minerals and collagen and other healing nutrients in bone stock. You could make that your warm beverage and do a lot of good for your health. And then obviously, finally, the thing I mentioned my wife is doing is herbal formulations, right? That's It really is nature's medicine cabinet. There is a whole host of solutions or situations why you might want to come up with some good herbal formulations. And so the Chinese figured this out a long time ago, and that's really their main, that and acupuncture are their main sources of medicine. They know they've got such a history of knowing what to blend. So if you can find a good traditional Chinese medicine specialist or you can find an herbalist, uh, there's a website, findanherbalist.com. That's somebody who's actually going to do an intake with you and get to know you and your situation and figure out, okay, I think that this combination of herbs would actually be helpful. So um, those are a couple places you can look for herbal formulations. But um, side note on herbs, even the American Herbalist Guild seems to have recently been sucked into the woke agenda. So just use an extra level of discernment. You, there's not all, I'm sure they don't represent the mindset of all herbalists, but they do have DEI and solidarity, solidarity initiatives against racism and all sorts of stuff like that on their website. So you might just stick with findanherbalist.com and, and use your intuition as this person, um, somebody I want to do business with. So um, the second category, so there's the foundational nutritional supplements with the breadth of nutrition, the ones I just covered. And then there's more targeted ones. So this, hope this can come in pills or drops or infusions or whatever, but these are more the targeted, the, often the way we think of supplements first is this category. So there's the vitamins, right? There's You can supplement those where appropriate, your A, D, E, K. Those are the fat-soluble ones. And then there's B-complex, several different ones in the B-complex and C. So you, you can think of those if you know they are low, especially if you are more toward the plant-based end of things, you're almost inevitably deficient in B12. So you can add those where necessary. So there's, I'll give you the categories first, and then I'll give you a little commentary on them. So there's vitamins, there's minerals, there's antioxidants, there's digestive aids, there's detox formulations, and then there's binders. Those are the kind of the way binders and detox, you could argue, are kind of the same thing. But those are kind of the categories I think in when I'm looking for nutrition or for is there a reason I might want to add this as a supplement? Is there a good argument? I, I'm not getting it from food, and the, the nature's multivitamins that I'm using don't have it. Rarely do I win that argument, but there are cases where you'd want to consider these. So, and usually those are when your health is breaking down. So, uh, minerals, those are things like your zinc and your iodine, your iodide, magnesium, et cetera. Antioxidants. So, those would be things like N acetylcysteine or glutathione. Often, you know, different supplements sell you their antioxidant properties, and glutathione is something your body makes. So, it should, if you're eating well, your body should be able to make that master antioxidant. But there's also digestive aids, which can be enzymes or hydrochloric acid, or you know, if your gallbladder's been taken out, you might need some help um, digesting your fats a little better. There's probiotics. Um, there's detox formulations. That would be like the chlorine dioxide I mentioned earlier. There's redox molecules or proteolytic enzymes. Those are things that they tend to be enzymatically active outside the digestive tract, and they can go through and munch up, cut up different you know, thanks, your body runs with enzymes. It's always creating chemical reactions, breaking things apart and reorganizing them. And so having some of those, that could be one thing for breaking up spike proteins that we'll talk about uh, in the guide eventually. But, and then finally, there's the binders. And those are things like uh, zeolite or bentonite clay, activated bamboo charcoal, diatomaceous earth, or there's various chelation molecules that will literally, they'll bind to either pathogens or they will bind to metals Things you don't want in your body, they get sticky and they, st they stick to them. And then they escort, the body uses that binder to escort these things to the exit. So those are some categories. Hopefully that wasn't too in the weeds, but that's one of the ways I think about it. You've got your foundational, whole food-based type things, and then you've got your targeted ones and figuring out how to use them and where is part of it. But 
that's hopefully given you a little bit of context on this industry and ways to think more holistically about it. So um, I, again, I think they can be a very powerful component of healing um, if you're supplementing an otherwise healthy lifestyle. Uh, but I think most of what's out there is junk. So you really get to know the companies, find the practitioners you trust. Um, and, and often when I'm coaching clients, one of the things I do is save them money on supplements. I can help them get rid of a lot of things in their cabinet and just spend less money on that. And I can shift that to the food budget or other things they were doing. And when you get robust, deep nutrition from your food and from a handful of well-chosen supplements, we have a short list of things in our kind of on the regular. And then we have another like a tool, toolkit, if you will, a I'm not feeling well kind of toolkit. We have things for, you know, preventing a cold. If you feel a cold coming on, we'll throw several things at it. To, here's a whole bunch of resources for the body. We'll make sure we're moving and sleeping and so on. But usually with a handful of things, you can knock a cold right out. But you can also use targeted things for metals or spike proteins or healing your gut. So anyway, that's the high level look at supplements. And if you're you know still confused um, and you feel a little overwhelmed, well, do some homework and let me just admonish you that you are worth it, right? This is your health we're talking about. So um, don't be miserly with your time. Don't begrudge that there's a few things to learn here. Know that there are players in the industry that are not interested whatsoever in your health. They're just interested in selling you something. And some of them are actually interested in putting all sorts of bioengineering crap in your body. So start reading labels, start becoming aware of when you see bioengineered on a label, you might want to have a level of skepticism. So anyway, that is it for this episode. Hopefully you found that helpful. My goal here, again, as I said, wasn't to sell you anything. I'm hoping to make you think. Um, If you have come up with a few better questions or a more measured approach to supplements and detoxifications, then I have done my job. So um, hopefully that was helpful. And if you are someone who, you know, you need need to get up to speed a little bit on how you can heal your health or you like the way I think and you are looking for a coach, then reach out. But if not me, reach out to someone you trust. Reach out to a practitioner and maybe send them this episode and say, what do you think of this? And what can we know about the companies making this? And um, do we actually have any evidence that these are helpful? And most of the time, if you have a good doctor, they're going to have that. But I I tend to find those doctors more in the alternative world. If, If talking to a medical doctor about supplements is like sometimes like talking to a car mechanic about the air conditioner in your house like they just have no clue what you're talking about they're they're they know they're kind of handy but it's not really what they do so um find alternative practitioners typically is going to be where you'll find people who are or herbalists who are more qualified to actually help you create targeted formulations for your situation so again we've got the detox guide coming out hopefully in the near future here where we'll have more specifics to recommend or just ways to think about categories of detoxification depending on where you are in your health. So uh, if you want to know about that detox guide when it is ready, then uh, make sure you're on our mailing list and you won't miss it. So, all right, that is it for this episode. You guys go make it a great day and I will talk to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Deconstructing Conventional Podcast. If you could use a coach in your corner, check out our membership offerings and personal coaching options at truewholehuman.com. To stay current with our latest episodes and offerings, subscribe to our newsletter. And if you want to keep the conversation going or suggest a guest or podcast topic, visit us on our free speech-friendly social channel, truewholehuman.social. I'll see you in the next episode.